Remember the good old days before Microsoft Word had autosave? You'd type up some important document and then your computer would freeze and you'd lose hours of work just because you forgot to hit save? Well, that's what it's like going online without ExpressVPN. Every time you're connected to an unencrypted network, whether it's in an airport, a hotel, a cafe, or anywhere, your online data is not secure. Any person on that same network who knows what they're doing can gain access to your personal data. Bank logins, credit card details, passwords, all the stuff you don't want people seeing. Unfortunately, hacking has become much easier than it used to be. People don't even have to be exceptionally skilled to do it, and there's a lot of money to be made by selling your information on the dark web. ExpressVPN stops hackers from stealing your data by creating a secure, encrypted tunnel between your device and the internet. It's incredibly easy to use. Once the app is running, you literally click one button to get protected. And it works on your phone, laptop, tablet, and more, so you can stay protected on the go. I've been using ExpressVPN for a little while now, and I can rest easy knowing my info is safe and secure. I've heard horror stories of people who've been hacked, and it sounds like a massive pain to try to get any resolution in the aftermath, so I am not interested in finding out what that process is like. Secure your online data today by visiting expressvpn.com slash slashfilm. That's E-X-P-R-E-S-S-V-P-N dot com slash slashfilm, and you can get an extra three months free. expressvpn.com slash slashfilm. Hello, everybody, and welcome to Slash Home Daily for Friday, December 4th, 2020. On today's episode, we're going to have a spoiler-filled discussion about the fifth episode of Disney Plus's The Mandalorian Season 2, entitled The Tragedy. This is Slash Home Editor-in-Chief Peter Serretta, and to me on today's podcast is Slash Home Weekend Editor, Brad Omen. Hey, that's me. And special guest from Star Wars Insider, StarWars.com, full of Sith podcast slash film.com there's just like a big list here i can't read it all brian young uh yeah that's uh that's me it's it's my pleasure to be here <laughs> uh okay um let's uh I, before we get into this episode let's get into some feedback from the previous episode which was chapter 13 the jedi okay someone noticed that the insignia on of the seventh fleet Thrawn's fleet is on those AK HK 87 droids from the last episode. They can be seen on like the side of their head. They, they are really faded and well hidden though. So that you like, you couldn't notice them before that reveal unless you were really looking for them. Yeah. But that's a cool detail. Yeah. And it's a cool detail that fans have discovered. Um, the, the other thing I wanted to mention is that apparently three months before last week's episode where they revealed the child's name, the child is named Grogu, uh, someone on Reddit actually posted posted that that was his name. And it's funny, if you go back to this Reddit thread, uh, it's now 96 days old. It's funny, all the, all the and it's part of the uh, Star Wars leaks part of Reddit. Um all the comments below are like saying how this guy's making up this information and now it's not real. So this guy actually had real Intel three months ago and no one believed him. That's the, the best way to keep operational security is just create things so absurd that no one will believe you if you did tell them the truth. (laughs) Uh, The other thing I wanted to bring up is uh, chapter 12 in the concept art. We didn't bring this up. But there was a piece of concept art that showed Cara Dune's, um, her little uh, meerkat or whatever you want to call it, breathing fire. 
I'm not sure if you guys caught that because I, di- I didn't catch that. But then someone on Reddit pointed it out that like it was like jumping through the air and one of the concept arts like breathing fire like a dragon. Hmm. Interesting. So that might be something we it might be an ability we see in the, the next two episodes. Uh, you know, someone who is a, a fan of Ordinary Adventures, he's part of the Patreon over there. Uh, his name's Burger Beast. Wrote in, uh, just wanted to let you know another sim- similarity to Lone Wolf and Cub. I think uh, Brian would appreciate this. In Sword of Vengeance from the series, the baby must choose his future between a ball and a sword. Reminded me of the coming decision by Grogu at the temple. Yeah, that was something I, I put in um, right after uh, Mandalorian started. Um, I wrote a piece for Slash Film comparing Lone Wolf and Cub, specifically that sort of vengeance movie, to this, and and posited that we might see that that future choice. And it's it's a really uh, I'd forgotten that I even connected those two things until until this letter. So it's a really astute observation, and I'm glad that uh, we get to talk about it again because <laughs> Lone Wolf and Cub is just a really – like watch it if you want to see kind of a lot of the visual flourishes and thematic elements that they're bringing into the show. It's just really good. I remember before the show even aired, like you had a interview with John and Dave, and didn't you bring up Lone Wolf and Cub? Yeah, like um, – we were there that day and they showed us some footage and all of the footage had been scrubbed of, of young Grogu, uh, completely. And at the interview, I, I told them that I kind of, I got that vibe from it and they both kind of looked at each other as though some cat had been let out of a bag, but I didn't, I wasn't (laughs) able to put it together until I actually watched the episode and I was like, Oh, Oh, now I see why they were panicking. (laughs) Um, Okay, the one one other thing I wanted to bring up is um, someone wrote in named FN, and they, they wanted to point out that while Ahsoka is played by a different actress in you know our version of The Mandalorian, in Germany, the voice of Ahsoka is the same voice, that uh, same actress that voices her on Clone Wars. So that's kind of cool. That's interesting. That, 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 yeah, that they're able to do that with the, the dubbing that they do for foreign versions. They can use those same voice actors. That's pretty cool. Yeah. Um, there's been a lot of talk about Ahsoka's, how, how do you pronounce this, uh, Brian? Like that, the, the, like her things, her hair, her, her montrals, montrals, are they Likas? No, look, Liku or Twi'leks, uh, Twi'leks have Liku and they have a special language uh. that they can speak when they twitch them, or at least that was in legends. I don't know if they've abandoned that, but yeah, Togruta have montrals and that's what they're called. Well, there were, were some fan complaints from from the last episode that her Montrax, is that what you're saying they're called? Montrals. Montrals. M-O-N-T-R-A-L-S. <laughs> I should know this. I don't know why I don't know this. But uh, there were some co- fan complaints that her Montrals were shorter than what we've seen in the animated. And we, we learned that that was a practical decision that was made so that the actress could perform stunts on set that like they, they originally tried some, some tests with longer ones and it uh, just didn't work out. And also they, um, they, they, they were thinking about doing CG ones, but that would just, you know, open up a whole other can of worms. I, it's sense. the same. It's the same complaints we saw about how pointy count Dooku's beard was in clone wars. And like, I don't know. That's one of those things that I just chalk up to the, 
it's not a continuity difference. It's a medium difference. And that kind of stuff doesn't necessarily bother me. Yeah. Um, okay. So Dave Filoni did this interview with Vanity Fair. It was alongside Rosario Dawson. And uh, there's a couple bits from this interview, but one, Brad, you wrote up this one about the timeline of where this episode takes place. Yeah. So it, um, obviously with uh, Star Wars Rebels, we know that uh, Ahsoka is supposed to go off with Sabine Wren to try to find Ezra Bridger. It takes place several years after the final confrontation with Thrawn in Star Wars Rebels. Um, and people have been wondering since we're seeing Ahsoka now exactly what this means for that, that mission. Is this after that or something like that? And Dave Filoni seems to have hinted at at least the mere possibility that what's happening on the Mandalorian right now uh, happens before Ahsoka and Sabine will go off on that mission. And so we could be leading up to that moment um, in Star Wars Rebels. And that might be confusing for some people because then that would be like, that means that we're just going to come up to that that point and, and then what? But I feel like, if anything, that's a perfect setup for an Ahsoka spinoff series to finally go on that adventure. It is funny that he does it in the most Dave Filoni way possible. Like, he, like, talks in circles. He's like, that's not necessarily chronological. I think the thing that people will most not understand is they want to go in a linear fashion. But as I learned as a kid, nothing in Star Wars really works in a linear fashion. You do episodes four, five, six, and then one, two, three. So in the vein of that history, when you look at the epilogue of Rebels, you don't really know how much time has passed. And I think... um... I would just like to to pat us on the back for talking about this last week and saying that was probably the case. And I think that Filoni's circular talk is as much of a confirmation that we were right as anything. It's, and, yeah. it's, cause in that same quote, too, he says, he's, so it's possible. It's possible. And he stresses possible just to so he's not actually confirming anything. <laughs> <laughs> I, I love I miss going to conventions and hearing him on like the stage answer fan questions in a way that's like he's just like a bro- him and like Damon Lindelof are like the the greatest at like fan questions and answering and Feige and Kevin Feige answering questions in a way that like you, you get like a satisfying response but like it tells it really doesn't solidify anything right yeah yeah no his interviews are always like that I mean it I don't know I just really like talking to Dave <laughs> yeah um just is, generally oh yeah I know he's he's great uh so if this, if uh, the Jedi episode takes place before the Rebels coda, uh, is it possible that that episode took place before the Ezra Thrawn climax? I don't think it is possible, right? No, because that's the, the the epilogue in Rebels takes place several years after that, and so what this what this does make a little bit more muddled is exactly how long. Um, after Return of the Jedi, Mandalorian really takes place. Because from what I understood, it seemed like that the the uh, epilogue for Rebels took place like three years or so after Return of the Jedi, whereas the Mandalorian was supposed to be roughly five years. Which is, is kind of what I've been saying, like, as far as the timeline. I know people, like Favreau has said most recently it's five years, but I would guarantee it, that 
Um, I, he's also said three years after, because initially his first report said seven years after A New Hope, yeah. which would put it three years after Return of the Jedi and two years after the Battle of Jakku, um, until they actually have a story reason where they have to nail it down for sure what year it takes place. I would not expect an answer, which is why all of the speculation around like Grogu and Anakin were born the same year. Like I, I, I think that none of that is actually like... None of it matters because I think that we're still in this squishy period of time where it could could take – it could be three years after, four years after, seven years after. We're in a window of time until they have an event that forces them to say, no, it's this, it's this amount of time. Okay. I think – yeah, I guess when it is doesn't really matter until they establish it. But I, I guess what I was asking is you know, they've set up – they've mentioned Thrawn. Right in the show, yeah. So I think some people are expecting Thrawn to show up, but last time we saw him in Rebels, him and Ezra kind of ended up in some kind of mysterious place away from yeah. everything. It almost seems like if this takes place after that, we can't see Thrawn in this. Well, it definitely takes place after that because that happened before A New Hope. Yeah, and so Thrawn being able to pull strings. I think the the strongest thing is that he, it implies that he's around and, and that Ahsoka knows he's influencing things and that my best guess is that Ahsoka's running around trying to find Thrawn to find clues about Ezra and then as soon as she gets a solid clue about Ezra, that's when she goes and gets Sabine. Yeah. And it's also possible that Thrawn escaped whatever happened in rebels, right? Like, and Ezra's still missing. That, that's the possibility. Yeah. 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 Um, okay. Uh, we were having a discussion about Grogu's black eye color. Kurt from Austin, Texas wrote in to inform us that some of the illustrations around Mandalorian have the child, uh, like on the cereal box, there's an illustration of the child where you can see that the black eyes are actually a large pupil, like, uh, like Brad kind of theorized without the, the bad science. <laughs> right, without, without the science, yeah, that isn't true. And well, and there are there are other draw um, concept art pieces too, where like even though his that part of his uh, eye, the pupils are are big and dark, you can see like the little bits of the whites that are around it. So it's not something that has been uh, really visible in the actual puppet on the series, but it's definitely something I think that they think they know. Like if he were to you know grow, that we would see more of his his eyes. Yeah, uh, Cade writes in, and he has a question for Brian. Is there any indication about how many Mandalorian are left in the galaxy in the Mandalorian's timeline? I am assuming the Night of a Thousand Tears was a genocide event that would have left only a remnant of Mandalorians. Are we talking millions left? Thousands? Hundreds? Tens? Dozens? I think the closest hint that we've got is um, that they're like through the course of the show, people have been saying that Mandalorians are exceedingly rare. Um Katie Sackhoff's Bo-Katan talks about how they're equipping divisions and divisions doesn't necessarily imply a whole lot. Um, and so it's, it's really up in the air. We've had no storytelling whatsoever regarding the Mandalorians themselves since um, Rebels. And that, like I said, that takes place right before the uh, A New Hope starts. So the Night of a Thousand Tears and the Purge are the only things that we have to go on. But I think the sense is correct that it probably was a genocidal purge. Um, 
much in line with how the Geonosians were treated uh, when they were done working on the first Death Star. Uh, you know, in Rebels, it shows us that the Empire exterminated most of that culture and society, and there was literally like only a handful left. So, you know, there might only be a few hundred Mandalorians left in the galaxy. Um, and we just don't know yet. We don't have enough information. Yeah, I'm guessing there is at least like, you know, five or six other groups of Mandalorian, like the one that Mando was part of, like scattered throughout the galaxy. Right. So it's like, you know, if there's a dozen in each one of those, then, yeah, I think we're in the hundreds probably. Oh, no, that's a guess. There's a lot of civilians, too. I mean, like, if you go back and I've been rewatching Clone Wars and you look at, at Mandalorian society, like, most of the people weren't warriors. They were artists and stuff, and they were living in big cities um, uh, like Sunduri. And it's like this major metropolis that looks as much like Coruscant as anything. And so that's that's a lot of blood on Gideon's hands if all of those people are dead. <laughs> um. Yeah, I, I think most people think of Mandalorians as the people in the armor, but yeah, you're right. The Mandalorian people are much, much greater than that. Um, okay, so also in the interview with uh, Vanity Fair, uh, Filoni reveals that John Favreau told him the name of uh, Grogu's name early on in season one. So that's something they've had uh, figured out for a long, long time. Um, he also. <laughs> he also said that he almost did what I what I had predicted and wished would happen last week. I'm going to quote Filoni here. Quote, I had to stop myself from doing something ridiculous like have her say, is that a Yoda baby? It almost demands to be said. So it almost happened, guys. I was close. Um, and also, yeah, no, that's that's about it. I'll, I'll link to that interview if you want to read that full interview. There's a lot of great... Uh, talk from rosario about how she got the role and stuff like that but nothing like you know mythology or story wise that we really need to discuss here so uh was, was there anything else that you guys wanted to to talk about last week's episode that we didn't get to i i think we did two hours on that episode that was 40 minutes long i think like haven't we spoken enough <laughs> about it <laughs> <laughs> that is true. Uh, okay, let's get into chapter 14. Um, this was directed Robert, by Robert Rodriguez. Uh, this is uh, 33 minutes long, so it's like the shortest of the season. Um, you know, I usually give my brief thoughts first, but let's start off with Brad. Uh, I really like this episode. I mean, um, I think that it's the way that they have... Uh, you know, brought back Boba Fett is interesting. I was surprised that they did it this episode since I was anticipating that's something that they might save for the the end. Even just yesterday on Slack, I had messaged Peter making a prediction about how Boba Fett might show up and that it might be something they use to like tee season three and end season two on like a whoa. And then just out of nowhere, you know, we have Slave One popping up and then Boba Fett, you know, making his presence well known. Um, but the action was great in this episode. And I, that's probably largely thanks to the fact that it was directed by Robert Rodriguez. Um, and then we, we got answers to, you know, things that we had questions about before, which maybe means we may need to be a little bit more patient if things seem vague. Maybe it's, maybe it's intentional. Maybe it's not just, you know, uh, things being unclear in a way that was, was a mistake. Um, and it's, yeah, there's, there's just a lot to, to take in in this episode too. And I, um, 
it's interesting. It, it feels like so much happened, but this was a super breezy episode as well. It was only, I think, like 32 minutes long or something like that. Yeah. Um, and so, if anything, I wish that maybe it was a little bit longer, but it seems like this was, in a, in a way, it was almost kind of like a pit, pit stop episode because it still had this kind of... But it wasn't. They got to the temple and they were doing the thing. I, and... I know. And that's the thing, though, is like they really did something, but it still felt like that because like he still had to go off and have this side adventure that was literally right to the side of, you know, what was happening with with, with, with Grogu, um, with, you know, with, with Boba Fett and um, uh, what's the name? Like, uh, Fendo? Is that the? Fennec, Fennec Shand. Fennec Shand. Fennec Shand. And so, uh, yeah, it's, so it, it was weird. It was this mix of like, wow, a lot happened, but also it still kind of felt like a pit stop episode, but it was still very satisfying and it's again every episode now i'm just like gosh what what the hell is gonna happen next <laughs> i will say this when i pl- when i hit play in the episode and i saw it was 32 or 33 minutes long i was like angry kind of i was like oh, going back to those shorter episodes but by the end of the episode i did not care it was like action packed and there were so uh, many Brian- there were moments in this episode too where i i literally was like whoa and like what <laughs> uh brian what did you think um, I'm on I'm on board with Brad and and this will get really boring because I think we it's weird how we've all been on the same page this season much more than last season. Um, but no, this was really great. Rodriguez was allowed to just really flex his action chops. And I mean, we, we, we might want to look into who his second unit director was, <laughs> um, but you know what? I, I do want to bring up Brian. To, uh, sorry to interrupt you. But no, you're fine. When the end of this episode hit and the credits, uh, you know, that Rodriguez, I was like, oh, that makes sense because it, it felt like the action felt like Rodriguez. But then after that, it revealed cinematographer Dave Klein. I'm not sure if you guys recognize this name. I recognize this name because I was a big Kevin Smith fan. This is the, the, the cinematographer that did Clerks and Mallrats. And like, yeah, I, don't know, I, I never thought he was going to do anything this cinematic. Apparently... You know, he spent a few seasons on Homeland and really, like, you know, got really incredible with uh, what he's able to accomplish. And I would also argue that it's probably Rodriguez's influence as much, too. I mean, Rodriguez typically yeah. does his own cinematography, so I can't imagine having Robert Rodriguez over your shoulder telling you how to shoot a Star <laughs> War um, is going to hurt anything. True. Speaking, speaking of which, uh, just real quick, do we think that they used the volume a lot for this one, or does, did it feel to anyone else like they shot this on location? Oh, I don't know. Because a lot, of, I'm guessing lot, it was the volume, even though it feels like it's on location. Well, because because a, a lot of the stuff like on cliff sides and stuff like that were on like these hill inclines, and those the rock formations felt like you know genuine. Obviously, they didn't really push a you know a real boulder down the hill, you know, from a location but there was something about if if this was the volume it's the best that they've done with it so far i think i would i would guess that that's rodriguez as well i think people don't associate robert rodriguez with the sort of digital cinema revolution but he is really one of the people who put his money where his mouth was and was an early ally of george lucas's when he was trying to push digital cinema in the first place And I mean, his whole entire, you know, Troublemaker Studios in Austin has been him just sitting at a green screen in his garage and making movies that way. So if any of the directors that they've brought in would know how to utilize something like The Void to make it look that realistic, it's going to be him. 
uh, I, I think. Um, but it, it could have been shot on location. I don't even know anymore. And that's I'm really excited by that idea. Like, it doesn't matter. It's also a, a crazy whiplash, too, because after this episode was online, uh, Netflix released a trailer for Robert Rodriguez's Netflix superhero movie, We Can Be Heroes, which is like the exact opposite of great quality green screen special effects work because it looks like like <laughs> live action Saturday morning cartoon trash. But I think that's the that's the intention of that, though. <laughs> sure, but you can still make the things things look better. <laughs> Okay, Brian, besides Rodriguez, (laughs) what did you think? Um, I was, I'm going to be honest, still not a fan of Boba Fett being alive, but if they're going to do it, Robert Rodriguez is the best way to. Um, I really (laughs) felt so many of his, like, visual language that he uses, like, you could have replaced Tamir Morrison with with Antonio Banderas in some of those shots. Um, You know, going back to El Mariachi and Desperado, it it had that feel right even the standoffs um the yeah. standoffs had that that rodriguez feel to them and i think this more than any of the other episodes that we've seen has that director's fingerprint on it more than any of the others all the others felt like they were working under favro and putting together what Favreau wanted, even Taika Waititi's, it had some of his humor, but there wasn't inherently anything that was like, oh, that feels very Taika Waititi other than the scripting stuff. And this, it felt like, okay, Rodriguez is kind of taking it to a different dimension than maybe we haven't been able to see before. If that makes sense. Yeah, no, I agree. Uh, I used to be a huge fan of Robert Rodriguez in this like early career. And it really feels like, in, in the last decade, decade and a half, it really feels like he's gotten a little bit lazy or he doesn't care as much. I don't know. I, I don't want to like uh, assume the why, but I, I've not been impressed by what he's been turning out recently. And it might also be that like he is usually a one man band, right? Like he's directing as he, as you said he's usually the director of photography he's shooting it he's uh composing the score as as people are walking in the scene with his with his guitar he's editing it he's writing it uh you know what maybe robert rodriguez just needs to direct is my, my hot take here did i know that... <laughs> yeah no i i could see that um I, I found a lot more charm in Alita than I think most people did, but uh, I think you're right. Um, but I, I and Rebel Without a Crew is probably one of the most important books on indie filmmaking that's ever been written, and uh, I still think he has a lot of that spirit, which is why I think he's really a great choice to have brought back into Star Wars, not just his ties to George Lucas um, with the digital stuff. Yeah. And maybe it's also his enthusiasm for Star Wars. Do you know what I mean? Like, maybe that's coming out here. Um, I just don't understand how the show every week feels like it's getting better and better. Like, it just feels like like I'm waiting for, like, you know, I'm waiting for that prison episode where it's like, oh, it's just like an episode of the week. It's like whatever. But it, like, doesn't stop. And uh, I don't know. I'm just really impressed with uh, not only how it doesn't stop, but how every episode has before we started recording, Brian, you said something about like every episode has like these Oh shit moments that we didn't expect to happen until 
like the finale or something, right? Yeah, no, they keep promising stuff. And then we as an audience go like, oh, it's Star Wars. They're going to hold that moment to the end of the episode. And then they just kind of open with it, right? Like when they mentioned Ahsoka, I was like, oh, I guess we're going to get Ahsoka. And as we started episode five, I really thought that we were going to wait until the end of the episode to encounter her. But no, like literally the first thing we see is her white lightsabers coming out of the fog and cutting down these scout guards. Um, I thought Boba Fett, I've been saying, if you've been listening to this for the last, you know, six weeks as we've been doing this, I've been like, Boba Fett's not even going to have a scene in the rest of the uh, <laughs> the season. And we're going to see him next season and he's finally going to be able to talk. And then they just kind of show up with the, the Slave One five minutes in. And they're not holding anything back, which leads me to believe that they're holding something huge back. If these are things that they don't need to hold back, and I've got a theory about what that is, but we can talk about that later. Yeah, let's talk about that in speculation. Let's dive into into the beat by beat. Okay, um, let's start with uh, the the episode. Op- actually, before the episode even opens, they have they show previously on, which shows us the man in the spurs walking up to Fennec, which is you know Boba Fett walking up to Fennec from season one. And instantly I know the Boba Fett's in this episode because I saw that on the uh, previously on. And also they, we showed dark troopers. So instantly I know in this episode that we're going to see the dark troopers. I, I wanted to know if you guys like, do you guys skip the previously on or do, do you feel like it? Like I feel, you know, I'm not, I'm not a genius, but I feel like it's very easy for me to connect the dots of sometimes with these previously on and like, be like, Oh, I know what this means for this episode. I don't skip them. I think that they're part of the episode almost, right? Like, especially when you're watching, like, I think they're brilliant in that they help connect a lot of dots for people who wouldn't ordinarily care or hold all that information in their head. I think they could go a step further. I think it'd be cool if they cut the previously ons in with some of the animated material. Oh, that'd be cool. Brad, what what is your thoughts on the previously on? Do you skip them? Do you worry that they spoil stuff for you? Uh, no, not really. I mean, it's I honestly, if, when I think about it, I'm not sure that I I think I let them play through, but I don't really pay much attention to them because I'm like, I've seen this show. I just talked about it for two hours last week. I know <laughs> I know what's going on, you know, and and like and maybe and part of it is maybe just because I I I don't want that hint. I just want to go go through and be surprised by whatever is is going to happen. So I'm. Yeah. in the middle i guess i'm guessing for general audiences most people don't even remember that that scene with the the spurs walking up to fennec right like so like that you need that reminder i i think it's interesting too though that that um that scene was included after they'd already put season two into production that's the sort of scene that they could have cut very easily and and taken out if they decided they weren't going to go with the Boba Fett thing, but that they had committed to that so thoroughly five weeks into their original run that uh, that scene became important because surely by that point, they would have already had to tell Ming-Na Wen that she was coming back. Yeah, I think we were all convinced at the time that it was Moff Gideon. (laughs) That was his his, uh, boots, right? Yeah, for sure. (laughs) Um, Okay, so Grogu is playing with a ball, and Mando is amused that Grogu responds to his actual name. Uh, That said, he still has some hard time convincing Grogu to give him the ball, 
and he tries to make Grogu use the force to grab the ball. Uh, and when he does, he yells, dank ferret, which is a word, you know, a phrase that we've mentioned in previous episodes. It's uh, been used uh, since the first episode of Mandalorian. Uh, we still don't know what it means, but I guess uh, Grogu thinks it's a bad thing. Uh, Mando assures Grogu that how special he is and how he can, uh, and we can hear how sad he is at the idea of letting Grogu go uh, when they find him a teacher. Uh, I, I think it's a really nice moment here. I know a lot of people give uh, this show crap for, you know, an actor under the mask and you can't see the face and feel the emotion but i feel like you can really feel the emotion in the scene yeah this was such a tender moment and probably the like the the softest we've ever seen mando be you know because even at the times when he can tell that he cares for the kid and wants to keep him safe it's he's in a protective you know uh hero kind of mode and this was more of like a genuine you know dad kind of moment where he's like trying to encourage him and make sure that he's not scared and tell him like, you know, what he, what he needs to do to make sure that he can end up where he's supposed to be. And it was, it was just a really nice moment between, uh, between Mando and, and Grogu. I, I feel like, um, this is definitely some of the best voice work Pedro Pascal has done as the character. And it's exactly to your point, right? Uh, He's really. I think this is this is some of Filoni rubbing off on Pedro Pascal too, right? Like none of the voice actors in Star Wars, uh, the Clone Wars, or Rebels were able to really use their faces, and even some of them were behind masks too. Like no one would tell James Earl Jones, like, "Oh, like we really need to see Dave Prowse's face to hear the voice to get expressive." Yeah. Like that's it's just not Star Wars that way. And, uh, no, I think Pedro is just killing it. And I think that scene was the most interesting and revealing he's done, uh, on the show. Yeah. And and it's amazing how much he's killing it, considering he walked off set of the show halfway through the season, right? (laughs) Yeah. I I, I can't, I can't. Okay. Um, (laughs) Uh, okay, so we get the chapter 14 title, The Tragedy. Actually, let me rewind for a second. Uh, we also did learn recently that Pedro was actually on set a lot more this season performing. Like season one, there was a lot of times where it was stunt people or it was, you know, him doing ADR after. And I think he gave an interview recently where he's saying he was like much more on set for a lot of the scenes uh, that the, his character does. So maybe that's also helping the the emotional. Uh, it could there. be. I think I'm starting to pick up when it's one of the stunt performers that he's just looping over um, a little bit more because they they use their hands more. Oh, if that makes sense, have gonna, you noticed I'm gonna have that? To, I'm gonna have to watch out for that. But that that is a good call because that's the one thing you learn when. Um, <laughs> when you're on a film set and there's lots of extras, like the people end up using their hands because they're not actually talking. They're like mouthing words. And when you have people who are not uh, trained actors doing something like that, they tend to use their hands more. Like it's something that happens. So yeah, I'm going to have to be on the lookout for that now. That's interesting. Okay, so chapter 14 is revealed. The title is The Tragedy. Um, 
Brian, we don't need to explain this one, right? No, and and uh, I got to tell you, I'm sure that every I don't know when I saw that as as soon as I was like, um, because I like I I'm cataloging all the information I can, and the title is something that we don't get beforehand, and so I'm always like really excited to see what that moment is, to see what it promises for the episode, and so I can write it in my review. And when it said the tragedy, I was just like, ah, oh, hell, like this is going to go bad. And I was right. <laughs> and honestly, honestly yeah. it should have been called the tragedies. Ah, yeah. No, okay, there was well, there was definitely more than one. <laughs> yeah, we'll get to that. Okay. Um, so the Razor Crest lands on Typhon, um, which also it is another thing where you guys like you're saying that like you thought we would wait they'd make us wait for this i i almost thought like when i saw that 33 minute time uh of the episode i was like oh no this is going to be an adventure of the week we're not going to get to typhon until next episode or the end of this episode and literally in the first minute they like land on typhon um and they go right to the temple uh this temple looks very ancient and not impressive i was i was expecting I don't know what I was expecting, but I was I think I was expecting something that looked more like the Jedi temples that we've seen in canon thus far. It it reminds me more of the Jedi Temple on Octu than it does even the Temple of Edith on Devron or the Temple uh, the Jedi Temple on Coruscant. Um and and this is probably why they thought they thought it was a candidate uh, for one of the first Jedi temples. Hmm. No that because it, that... Oh, go yeah. ahead. I was going to say, in your piece, you also uh, drew some connections with the one from Last Jedi, too. Yeah, no, I think, well, yeah, the one on Act 2 is very old and ancient, and, and I mean, the meditation rock is literally just a rock. It doesn't even have the the runes on it that this one does. And those runes are very evocative of the way we've seen Jedi temples working in uh, Star Wars Rebels, and even Clone Wars a little bit. But we also know that that um, yeah, they're they're just places that are really powerful in the force, and it helps tap into some of that stuff. And it seems like Grogu has a lot of potential. I think I was just expecting something more like the pyramids, and not something more akin to like Stonehenge. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> uh, but okay. So Mando can't land; they jetpack down to the magic rock, quote unquote. Uh, the wind is in Grogu's face, which is a cute moment. Uh, Mando places Grogu on the seeing stone, and they impatiently wait for something to happen. Uh, a blue butterfly flies down around Grogu. I don't think you actually mentioned the blue butterfly in your piece, uh, Brian. So I wanted to ask you no. about that here. I mean, butterfly. Go ahead. Go ahead. Yeah, I was, I was curious what you thought this represented, because I know in mythology, like, you see butterflies as a symbol of like resurrection or rebirth or renewal or long life. And you often see blue butterflies because uh, it's a uh, beautiful and rare and cinematic, but uh, yeah, I think you... I, I definitely think that there's something about metamorphosis going on with butterflies. And I think that that's um, probably at play and also just Grogu's connection to nature uh, and, and, like his Jedi-like nature. Um, there's sort of another layer to it, and I have no idea if Favreau or Robert Rodriguez pay attention to it at all, but the whole like Ben Solo and the yeah. Ben Solo and the Blue Butterflies situation, um, there was that cartoon short 
where the characters are all balls and baby Ben Solo ch- sort of chases after a blue butterfly butterfly with a net. And so um, fans of Ben Solo have sort of adopted that as a symbol of him. And um, I don't necessarily think this is connected to that, um, you know, but it is it is sort of funny that in that sort of canon adjacent cartoon about Ben Ben Solo chasing butterflies, it's probably close to around the same time as Grogu doing this because uh, Ben Solo Solo is at this point a young a young toddler or a, or a very small child. Yeah, in that 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 uh, series that was on YouTube is called Star Wars Roll Out, and it had Ben Solo encountering some blue butterflies. He frees them. And, uh, yeah, it spawned this, like, whole weird movement in, is it, like, Raylo fandom or is it Kylo fandom? I don't know. I, I think it's, it's, I, Raylo. it's probably, I think it's probably both just because it's, it's really indicative of just, like, the, the softness of the character inherent in his childhood and that, you know, he was corrupted later. And I think it's just, um, it could be Raylo. I don't know. It's, yeah. I, I'm, I don't know what the divisions are, but uh, there's a lot of fan art with Ben Solo and butterflies. And I think a lot of people before Rise of Skywalker came up, I took this as a symbol of, you know, him being resurrected and, uh, you know. The the thing I really see out of this, though, is that uh, Ahsoka in the last episode really showed us that um, Grogu's memory was very muddled. And post Order 66, he didn't necessarily hold on to a lot of that. And he spent a lot of time meditating and communing with whatever it was that he was communing with, whether that was the ghost of Jedi past, whether that was other Jedi in the galaxy, whether that was a vision. In Star Wars Rebels, we often see that people are experiencing visions while they're in this state. And we don't know what he saw because he can't communicate that. And he's not the point of view character of the audience uh, for the audience. Um, and so the butterfly could very well represent the metamorphosis of him from being v- this very naive, innocent who can't really communicate. And we definitely see his power greater and more focused and more um, with more intent and will to it afterward, after Moff Gideon uh, gets his hooks into him. And that this could represent sort of a turning point um, that the blue light that he's surrounded by is as much a, car- a cocoon taking him into the next phase of his character as anything. Brad, I wanted to ask you, like, do you think the what the blue butterfly means? Because Filoni, like, you know, well, I guess he didn't write this episode. Favreau wrote this episode, but, you know, Filoni's involved. But I, I feel like Filoni loves putting these, like, little details in and they're going to come back later, like, that he wants interpretation. So I'm, I'm curious what your interpretation is. I felt like it was a, you know, um, maybe more of a, uh, just a subtle symbolic kind of thing, not necessarily with anything specific, but just kind of like maybe, maybe a push for, for Grogu to like open up and feel the force and use, use this, you know, mm-hmm. ancient area to like, actually do what he's supposed to do you know um like butterflies you know they they're meant to be like a symbol of hope and life and that kind of thing um you know and the force is it's it's a a life force an energy force that flows through you know all living things and so if if anything maybe it was just like a little bit of encouragement from something you know from nature you know for for the child to to, to, yeah to do what he needed to do yeah Okay, so just then, Slave One lands on the planet. Mando said, time's up. But Grogu is now in a forced meditation. 
and Mendo can't get through the, I'm going to do it, guys, the force field Whoa. emanating around the seeing stone. Sorry. <laughs> I had to go for that pun. Um, who do we think Grogu is communicating with here? Like, I think we last week assumed that we would actually see a Jedi. We'd see, like, at least a Jedi ghost or something. But, like, we're not in, like, like Brian says, we're not seeing this from the first person of Grogu. So we don't get to find out who he is speaking. I'm not even sure that he is speaking to anybody in particular as much as he is just tapping into the force in general and just sending out, you know, energy and like uh, just the uh, basically like as a beacon, like, you know, here, here, like I am, you know, putting it out there like for, for anybody to answer. And part of me wonders since we're um, dealing with the fact that, you know, Ahsoka is in pursuit of Thrawn, that maybe the Jedi to answer the call, and I think we mentioned this last week too, what, what if it's Ezra? So, I, I think that this is this is one of the things I was thinking about as far as our speculation part, but yeah, I think I think you're right in, in that um, this is basically him lighting the beacons and, you know, Gondor requesting aid, but they're not necessarily sure who they're asking for aid from. But I think that this secret is what that they're what they're holding on to and why they're not holding back on anything else is who's going to show up. Like right now, everything is aiming toward a confrontation between everyone and Moff Gideon. And Grogu has put out the call for help. He's lit that bat signal. And there's only a very limited amount of Jedi in the galaxy at this point who can answer that call. And I think they're going to be there as one more thing in the the finale or whatever, wherever it is we see that showdown, um, that they're going to sh- show up and help change the the dynamic of the battle. Because there's so many pieces moving on the table. I think you're right. I hope you're right. It, it's weird because almost everybody's appearance in this series has leaked ahead of time. And I feel like we have not heard any even rumors of possible jedis who could show up at the end of i mean we've heard fan speculation but not like you know leak reports of like i don't i don't think it's going to be ezra um because if he shows up to do this then ahsoka's quest like then then why why does ahsoka go back to seek him out on the other hand, Filoni's really good about that sort of doublespeak stuff and that maybe he does show up, takes off with Grogu, and that's and Ahsoka's not just looking for him but also looking for Grogu. <laughs> I think um, Luke is honestly another possibility. I honestly think that that's – like why not? Like why would why would that be off the table some, some way? He shows up in Stormtrooper um, gear, walks into the detention center and says, I'm Luke Skywalker. I'm here to rescue you. <laughs> and and the sets match that um but i think i think luke is definitely a possibility um my son actually jokingly told me he's like oh it's totally gonna be mace windu <laughs> um Gosh. he's like we didn't see a body we didn't see a body and sam jackson doesn't age so that would be there that you would go mind-blowing as well i do i don't know the the ezra thing with the timeline i feel like it could call it into question, but also it's one of those things, too, where if Ahsoka doesn't know where Ezra is, then it would still make sense that she would be looking for him even after he appears in The Mandalorian, because there's no indication maybe that, that she would know where he's at. But I don't Well, buy she's that working. Could... Oh, go ahead. Say, I was going to say, I don't buy that it could be Ezra because Ahsoka could communicate with him 
if he was in a place to communicate, right? Like, but don't you have to? Through the but fort? don't you have to know kind of like where they are to be able to have that communication? Unless it's some kind of like big she could, burst of you know so energy. No, you. D- I mean, like um, Ahsoka has been in Rebels. She often went to Jedi temples and communed with other Jedi. Like um, Ezra went to a Jedi temple and talked to Yoda. Mm-hmm. Uh, during that dark time and he didn't know Yoda from anybody and or where Dagobah was or anything it's just Yoda was out there doing that that talking um, and and sort of waiting to receive that but Dagobah was also a place of power of the force and if Ezra wasn't in one of those places then maybe he wouldn't be able to get the signal because he's probably not as powerful as Yoda maybe he is I don't know Um, but I also don't get the impression Ahsoka is going to come back for this showdown with Gideon like, yeah, I'm, I, I'm convinced that that's a setup for an Ahsoka Sabine TV series, be it live action, be it animated, you know, the search for Ezra. Like, I feel like if Ezra shows up, you, you give away that whole possible story, which it just seems like, you know, Rebels was building up. To, that's fair. Right. I don't know. Um, OK, let, let's move on. Uh, Mando tries to buy Grogu some time. Approaching the landed slave one, but is met with blaster fire. Oh, b- by the way, we see the slave one. How, how great of an oh shit moment was that? Like, it's just like we haven't seen that thing flying since what? I guess the prequels in the canon, like on the chronological timeline. The last time we saw it was in Empire Strikes Back. Yeah. The last time we saw it in in like the last person that we saw driving it in the canon during Clone Wars was Hondo Onaka. Um, and we didn't know if if Boba had reclaimed it or not. Mm. So okay, there's so, still some uh, there's still some Boba stories out there left to be told. Yeah. Okay. So Fett says he's been tracking him. Mando says, "Are you a Jedi or are you after the child?" Uh, Fett, that's that's not e- either. Uh, he removes his hood and says he's there for Cobb Vance's armor, uh, which used to be his. Mando, of course, asks about his Mandalorian heritage, which. Fett responds, I'm a simple man making my way through the galaxy. Uh, he explains that he has not made the Mandalorian Creed and has no allegiance to anyone. Um, Fett claims uh, he has a sharpshooter above who will take out Grogu and is revealed to be Fennec, who is played by Ming-Na Wen uh, from season one. Uh, for those who don't remember who she was, who was she? She was the sharpshooter who uh, faced off against uh, the Mandalorian and Toro Calican uh, on Tatooine in Episode Five, uh, Chapter Five, uh, when uh, she was going to take the bounty on them, and she was presumed dead and left for dead, and Boba Fett found her. Okay, so they all agree to stand down. Mando is shocked that Fennec is still alive. Uh, Fennec reveals that she now has... How would you say this? Cyborg parts? Cybernetic a cybernetic uh, belly? Yeah. Yeah. Fett used uh, that to save her life. And um, Fett wants his armor back. And is willing to guarantee the safety of the child in exchange. So I, I, have, a, I have some real questions here about... I know we don't know the timeline, but I have some real questions about where, like, 
what has Boba Fett been up to that he couldn't just go get the armor from Cobb Vanth on on Tatooine? Or like, I mean, it seems like he's been he's not just been wandering the desert for years. He has like the technology to, you know, save uh, Fennec and like you know, you know, install so, the cybernetic uh, belly, as you said. The thing that I like, because I was asking myself this question, too, where he's like, I've been tracking you for a while. I want my armor back. It's like, why didn't you take it from Cobb, who was way less sophisticated? And the best answer I could come up with is that he had only recently tracked Cobb. And he probably only recently heard those stories about a Mandalorian and Mos Pelgo. And which also, I think, tightens some of that timeline down. So I think it's a little bit closer to Return of the Jedi than maybe we would have thought. And it probably took him time to heal. It probably took him time to start tracking down those stories. And by the time he heard it was Vanth and started hunting him, Mando got to it first. Yeah, I think that that adds up. Okay, so an Imperial dropship of some kind lands on the planet, unloading squads of stormtroopers. Uh, Fett and Finnick, uh, Fennec, uh, take out a bunch of the troopers. Um, there's some funny interplay here between the troopers. I'm sure that's like Matt Wood or something. Um, Boba Fett is like, I don't, he's like such a badass here. He's like taking out the troopers with that. Is that a Tusken Raider? Stick? It's a ga- yeah. yeah, it is a gaffy stick, and I would like the record to reflect that this is the first time in the canon uh, that Boba Fett has been a badass. <laughs> he's looked badass before this, Brian. He's looked he's, badass. No, but this is the first time he's actually done anything badass. Yeah. Well, what what about in the Star Wars uh, holiday special? Well, I guess that's not canon, is it? No, is it? no, this is... No. no. Okay. Uh, <laughs> you know... The action here is so brutal. It's like more brutal than I think I've ever seen in Star Wars before. Like the stormtroopers' armors are like as he hits them, it's like being decimated into like fragments of pieces. We saw that in Rogue One, actually. Um, Did we? Um, Donnie Yen's character, his staff cracks open stormtrooper helmets like that. Well, I don't know. Maybe this was just more of a close-up of it and stuff. It just felt more brutal. I think it has to do with Rodriguez. Yeah, uh, the the troopers start unloading bigger weaponry. Is that an E-Web? That is definitely an E-Web, which we would have first seen in The Empire Strikes Back. Uh, no, actually, I think we saw an E-Web. Um, did we see one in A New Hope when they're unloading, uh, when they're trying to attack the Millennium Falcon? Or it's just Empire? I think it's just I, Empire. I think it's Empire. I could be wrong. Yeah. And we saw it last season. Uh, there was like that yeah. little standoff on Navarro with it. Uh, Fennec runs and avoids the fire and is able to unlodge a huge boulder that comes rolling down the hill, kind of in Indiana Jones fashion, kill, taking out a bunch of troopers. Uh, Fett continues to be a badass with the, the staff and kills a few more troopers. And Fennec uh, kill shots some troopers while jumping in the air, facing backwards. You can really feel like Rodriguez is inspired by video games, I think. And you can really feel that with this whole action sequence. Um, I actually think, okay, I'm going to say this. I know we don't really know much about Fennec, but I think she's more badass than Cara Dune. And I, I I think like we, I don't know. I think I like her more than Cara Dune. I mean, I think, what do you got? I mean, she's definitely a good sharpshooter. I don't, I think she's probably right on par with Cara Dune. She just has different 
uh, expertise, you know, from a from a distance that makes her more deadly, as opposed to Cara Dune, who's more of a hand to hand combat kind of person. Yeah, I think I also just appreciate her acting ability more. Also, so, also by the way, the armorer smashed some stormtrooper helmets in her day as well. Yeah. Oh yeah. Okay. Uh, Mando again tries to get Groku out of his meditative state, but again can't. He leaves to play defense. And just as he does, Grogu awakens from a state and, like, almost, like, faints. He's, like, exhausted. Uh, Mando comes. And I think we're setting something up here that, like, we'll see later in this episode that when the child uses. Well, I guess they probably set this up last season, right? Like, when the child used his abilities in season one, he was kind of, like, knocked out. Yeah. And uh, when he when he raises the mudhorn off the ground to save the Mando, as soon as that situations resolved he sort of passes out for a little nap he's all tuckered out and that tracks with how the force has sort of been used uh feloni's talked about it how there's like this physical cost to the force that you see that even when yoda lifts the x-wing up out of the swamp on dagobah like he's physically strained by that um which is why like you'll often see like why didn't the jedi just like force their way out of that and it's like well they didn't have the concentration of the strength to do that in that moment but I think we're seeing the example of him getting a force exhausted so much that it's going to become like a thing. Like we're going to, you know, it's setting something up is basically. What yeah. I'm yeah. Yeah. No, absolutely. Uh, Mando comes out and uh, to the aid of Fennec and unleashes some whirling birds, which we know, you know, they're rare. He doesn't have a lot of them. Uh, the two of them fend off the troopers, but it's too much. And just when it feels overwhelming, out from the sky comes Boba Fett in his armor, showing up, wielding, you, you know, weapons I didn't even know he had. Uh, how awesome was this sequence, Brad? It was so good. I mean, uh, I will say that it looks weird seeing Boba Fett's armor on the current Boba Fett since he's still wearing that, like, I don't know, tunic or partial cloak, whatever you want to wear it. So it almost looks like someone wearing boba fett armor with sweatpants on <laughs> uh yeah it's like a black robe rather than like the khaki pants. yeah it's just it's just a kid dressed up at home screwing around um but yes yeah, you know seeing boba fett back and actually you know seeing him do some cool shit uh with his with his armor and everything he, he uses every part of his arsenal that you would want him to use including a new part that he hadn't used yet which are the knee rockets uh, something that isn't new. It, it is detailed in the visual dictionary that he has always had weapons on his knees. Um, and yeah, it was, it was just an, an awesome moment and a, a redemption for Boba Fett for sure. I really loved seeing him use, get to use the jetpack rocket too, yeah. which <laughs> is something he'd never done before. And I really loved the, the, the moment where he's like, I was aiming for the other one because when I went back and rewatched it, it's pretty blatant that he is definitely aiming for the other yeah. one and he missed. That's a, I, I thought that when it happened, I was like, wait, what? He was shooting the other one. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I think that's the best line of the episode, right? Like the nice shot. I was aiming. So, for the, so, so the jetpack is still kind of a piece of junk. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, <laughs> uh also okay so there's um the troopers retreat and the 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 ships take off and leave the planet uh fett takes out one of the ships with his missile as we said um hits the other one but no time for celebration a giant bolt from the sky comes down and completely destroys the razor crest 
it's like turned into ash. It's almost like it's been hit by the Death Star or something. Uh, so I, I guess, well, my first thought here is not the story. It's, it's actually, uh, I feel bad for all those people that back that HasLab. <laughs> that, uh, dude, really that's, that's, that's so funny because that's literally the first thing I thought too. I was like, well, there goes that toy. <laughs> Like how much money was that, it was, Brad? It was like, like it was like three hundred and fifty dollars. <laughs> like, is it ever gonna come back? Like, he can't rebuild. Like, I guess he could buy another one of those ships. Like, not a uh, custom ship. It's just uh, we've seen that ship elsewhere. I think we've seen it in like other aerial shots in like the prequels, or I know it's in Star Tours at one point. Um, I think I think it's dead. I think he'll have to get a new one. And it might be interesting to see what he picks next, like what maybe they'll use it as an opportunity to come up with another iconic ship to uh, to give him. Well, maybe now he has to get the SUV now that he has a kid, you know, he's like, yeah, let's get the more (laughs) the smarter option and not the the cool badass option. Yeah. Yeah, so so it's gone. Okay, uh, Mando runs to save the child. Moff Gideon is told that they have a direct hit, and he says, "Engage the dark troopers." Uh, you know, because we didn't really get to talk about this last time, Brian. What do we know about the dark troopers from canon or legends? So, in the legends, dark troopers were the enemies that that they were a program, much like. Uh, Thrawn's TIE Defender program that were sort of competing for resources with the Death Star, but they were basically giant, like imagine a Terminator in Stormtrooper armor that was sort of built on um, very much like a next generation battle droid kind of situation and they were really the elite of what the the Imperial arsenal had to offer as far as these hunter killers but they were very expensive and kyle katarn has to sort of like disrupt that and fight a bunch of them in the video games and they've had a whole bunch of other appearances across legends in the canon we got some phase two um death troopers or uh, uh dark troopers in the star wars commander game but i would not necessarily count those as as anything but the big thing about them is that they're they're very impressive. They're the next generation of what battle droid like technology can be capable of. And they're very lethal uh, in a way that stormtroopers obviously aren't like you saw them throw wave after wave after wave of stormtroopers at them and they didn't get the job done. They sent four of these down to the planet and they were able to capture Grogu. Yeah. By the way, I always wince when I when I'm reading a Wikipedia article and it it cites Star Wars Commander as like a canon source because I feel like I it's mean, not really. It's technically canon, but and and I know that there are definitely events that happen in it that like all of the stuff with uh, Cloud City and Bespin is referenced elsewhere. So it's like it, you can use it to triangulate some things, but sometimes. I, you know, with like the enemies involved and stuff like that, people that you're fighting, that could just be an adaptation for the game. Yeah. You know what I mean? Where it's just like, we need harder enemies. Well, put out dark troopers. And it's not necessarily supposed to be an acknowledgement that they're canon, but the, the bigger, broader events of the galaxy are definitely reflected in other parts of the canon from Star Wars Commander. Okay. So these four dark troopers are flying down from the sky. They have red eyes they have rocket boosters on their feet which reminds me of iron man which you know also john favreau and also the design seems kind of reminiscent of the ralph mcquarrie 
like the original stormtrooper designs a little bit it looked like a mix between like that and to me it looked a, a little bit like um a mix between the original dark trooper designs but it looks like they were like okay what do these dark troopers look like if the same designer as k2so put them together <laughs> they still have those those sort of rounded joints like k2 does and and the same sort of finish um it, so so that was it, it looked again like we we've talked on this a, a lot about how design sort of tells a story and i think that was one of those choices where they were like how does k2so is, is an imperial droid and these dark troopers fit in the design scheme of the empire together i gotta say I, i'm not sure if i like their look uh, Brad, what, what did you think of how they looked and how they acted? Well, I, this this definitely shows that they are, you know, droids when I was anticipating that maybe they might be these soldiers that they were had experimented on and were, you know, using them, using real people to turn into force sensitive uh, dark troopers, which is I suppose is something that still could be happening. They probably wouldn't be dark troopers. They might be something else that they're doing with uh, what they want the midichlorians for from from Grogu and whatnot. But uh, so yeah, so it was, it was good to just get that confirmation and see them. And I um, I imagine they're saving this for when we actually have to deal with them. But I was I was expecting some kind of confrontation uh, for Mando to see how deadly they were or to show how deadly they were. But I th- it seems like they're saving that to be a, a reveal later, just how efficient they are at fighting and how much um, more capable they are at taking on. Uh, enemies than real stormtroopers are because all all they had time to do is come down, grab the child, and leave. And like the so much suspense, the cutting back and forth between them running uphill and just like the dark troopers getting closer and closer to the child. Where I'm, I'm where you're just sitting there, you're just like, no, what are you doing? And then, and of course <laughs> they have that they you know did the setup where he took his jetpack off. Although I will say. I was wondering, like, why didn't he just remotely use his his arm, uh, his his gauntlets to call the jetpack, or at least send it up there to, like, maybe like hit knock one of the stormtroopers, dark troopers, out of the sky or something? Because hmm. yeah. we've seen that he can remote control that jetpack from the uh, the the series premiere. Or she's, it's, she's it's also interesting. Premiere, sorry. Why do you think Moff Gideon didn't send them down before? Like, he sends on these squads of stormtroopers that are not able to do anything. Or do you think they were kind of a distraction, much like that, you know, destroying Mando's Razor Crest, like so that they could capture Grogu? I mean, I kind of got the impression it was a distraction, right? Where it's like, here's these stormtroopers and we'll lure them away from the mountaintop. But on the other hand, they didn't have anybody on the ground to, uh, you know, know those things. So but on the other hand, if they could target his ship so precisely, they probably could just look at that spot, too, from space. yeah, it was also a waiting game too because Grogu was in that like force field, and they had to wait until that was over to to grab him, right? So, and it's probably and yeah. you probably don't you know I mean we don't send SEAL Team Six in to do you know every job you know you don't you don't send your best in all the yeah. time. Well, you you send in the minimum amount of force required. Yeah, and then if that doesn't work, yeah. then it's like okay, we have to escalate this. So Boba Fett is in pursuit. He's told to stand down and not to, you know, let the child uh, live. You know, so he won't, does like they're worried about the child. Um, he sees them dock into an Imperial cruiser, and he reports back, "They're back, the Empire. They're back." Um, it's supposed to play like this big moment, and I think I, at first I kind of had like a little bit of chills, but then I was like, 
But they just battled dozens of stormtroopers. Didn't we already think that the Empire was back? Well, I think, um, well, there's two things that I was kind of conflicted by about that moment. But to answer that question specifically, they've all been dealing with stormtroopers. There have been tons of of stormtrooper remnants and stuff. But at this point in the canon, the stormtroopers... Um, or the the Imperial fleet is gone, right? Like this is yeah. the biggest Imperial ship anybody's seen in a long time. My curiosity about this is why would Boba Fett give that sort of reaction as though he has any hatred for the Empire? I mean, like literally the last time we saw him, he was like working for them. Yeah, that's confusing. I didn't even think about that, Brian. Wow. I mean, maybe he's been <laughs> double crossed by them. You know, there's he's just a bounty hunter after all, and so there's I'm sure that there's stories that he has of, you know, dealing with the Empire and being screwed over. Well, and I wonder. I mean, like, I and this is one of those things. Like, I think Boba Fett's way more interesting because of the prequels, and they just don't ever seem to address it, except in really small ways. But the idea that like. Why not address any of that that notion that these stormtroopers are sort of pale shadows of his father? Right? Yeah, that's interesting. Like um because that's well. what I mean that's I well, hopefully I really hope they address that kind of stuff because I think that's interesting and um I hope they address more of the thematic stuff too like where and and maybe this isn't intentional and maybe this is just my love for attack of the clones sort of overwhelming and clouding my judgment. Um but the juxtaposition of theme between how Django was with Boba as father and son has a very distinct visual similarity and a, a warmth um, that matches Din and Grogu in the the in their ship in the Razor Crest. Yeah. Um, with all of those scenes in Attack of the Clones, with that paternal sort of training that that Django does of Boba, and seeing. Um, Boba sort of respond to that um, was really interesting. And I don't know if those parallel themes about, you know, fathers and sons that are warriors training um, is going to play out, but it certainly evoked that at least in my imagination. I think you said this in one of our podcasts for season one, but I'm really hoping that either in the Mandalorian or the, the Ahsoka spinoff series or the Boba Fett spinoff series that are rumored (laughs) that we get a scene with, Boba Fett sitting down with Rex and having kind of a conversation about the, you know, their I think relationship. I think he'd kill him. I think Boba would try to kill a clone. Hmm. And he had no qualms about that in Clone Wars and he sort of like resented them. But I would really love to see him come up with that conflict, right? Like, this is a person with the face of my father. Like, what's the ethical, moral, like, what is any of that? Like, that's an interesting question to me. Okay. Uh, Mando can't even find the pieces of his ship. It's disintegrated. All that's left is the the ball, that that knob that Baby Yoda or Grogu used to play with, and the Beskar staff. Uh, and I think he even says only the Beskar remains. So was, was that ball Beskar? Was the knob? I didn't get the impression he said only the Beskar remains. I think it was just like, I think he said like, this is all that's left. And Boba said something like Beskar, like, like he was just assuming. Um, I just think of like all the stuff that survives is like the, the knob of that thing. 
but I don't. It, it, I, I I don't know. Maybe maybe, the, maybe it is the this best is... car. Like, why would you waste best car on a knob to a thing in the yeah, chip? Yeah, I think you might be overthinking it a little. I mean, like. Yeah. Um, this is a show where a puppet that looks like Yoda spent the entire time meditating in a blue shaft of light with an invisible force field around him. But, but and, at the same uh, time, Brian, I, I, I kind of like the idea that this baby was like attracted to this best car thing. You know, maybe yeah. it's like him being maybe it's fate. Do you know what I mean? He's attracted to the future to become a Mandalorian. I don't know. Anyways. Uh, yes, I'm thinking way too much into it. I I, I agree. Uh, okay, so Fett shows Mando his chain code, which I'm not even sure what that means, but whatever. Uh, he explains that his father was Jango, and Jango was a foundling who fought in the Mandalorian Civil Wars, and then Mando agrees that the armor belongs to him. This intrinsically changes canon in a major way, right? Not specifically. Um, I no, so think Jango, I thought we thought Jango was not a Mandalorian. So there's nothing in like a. It depends on who's the more reliable narrator, right? Yeah. Um, Prime Minister Almec is like Jango Fett is a hired mercenary, and we don't know where he got the armor, and he was fighting on the opposite side of the war of of Prime Minister Almec. So even if he was a foundling. And given that armor, he still gave up that Mandalor like Mandalorian, like they said, is a creed, not a race. And he's obviously not living up to that creed by the time we see him in Attack of the Clones. So even if he was at one time enough to get the armor, a Mandalorian who'd accepted that creed and fought in those civil wars, which is a really interesting Easter egg on its own, um, he he no longer was. And since Mandalorian doesn't necessarily pass hereditarily either, and Boba is absolutely not part of that creed, it, it looks to me that this confirms that part of canon, that neither of the Fett boys are Mandalorians, even if Jango had been at one time. I guess. Well, but he was a Mandalorian at some time. So I think this, like gives both parts of like the argument of like people thinking oh yeah no this is going to be an insufferable argument for the next who knows how long um, uh, i don't know guys okay but also Star like Wars fans is... don't tend to argue about things like this for oh right brad i forgot <laughs> um but i think it could also be boba just going like like hey I don't want to have to fight you over this armor anymore and obviously if i don't have a reasonable mandalorian claim to it you're not going to let me walk away. So here's a story I invented. Um, I, don't know, I, I tend to believe him. I tend to believe that Django was a foundling at one point. That would make sense why he has the armor. And it's just like, isn't this random guy with Mandalorian armor? And it makes sense why Mando has it because it's what, you know, his father did. But, but also like if, if you're trying to raise a kid, do you tell your kid that uh, you have your armor because you were a foundling and you were part of the Mandalorian people and you fought in the Civil War? Or do you tell them the real story that you were just a, a paid mercenary and you stole it off a corpse? Good point. But I also think that this is becoming Game of Thrones. -ist. They're trying to tie all this Mandalorian mythology together. And I think we're eventually going to get this like... Uh, didn't oh. even didn't even like say the uh, the watch. 
not here. I mean, they did. Yeah. I mean, there was there was definitely the Night's Watch in Game of Thrones, and we've got the Children of the Watch here and Death yeah. Watch as well. But I would love. I want more than anything, and I've been saying this for years. A show about that Mandalorian Civil War. That is the. Um, conflict that brought Obi-Wan Kenobi and Duchess Satine together. It happened before the Phantom Menace and was between those factions of the pacifist Mandalorians and the Death Watch and the, the more orthodox sort of warrior Mandalorians. And Obi-Wan and Qui-Gon spent a year on the run protecting uh, Satine and that was when they fell in love and he would have left the order for her. Like, how great would it be to get that show about that war? Yeah. And, and that could set up, you know, where Mando came from. Do you know what I mean? Like, yeah. that, that could set up yeah. so much. Uh, yeah. There's been rumors of a prequel. Maybe it's that. I don't know. It, it could be. And then you could get Daniel Logan to play young Django. Hmm. Uh, <laughs> maybe. Yeah. Okay. Uh, okay. So Fett and Fennec are in debt to Mando, and they're going to help him get Grogu back. So is this show now become like the A-Team? I feel like that happened first season and we got together for like this big thing. And then, it, you know, they all separated. Do you think that we're going to get to the point where we get all together for the finale and like it becomes like an A-team kind of show? Oh, yeah. I think that they're setting up this so that the finale is all of these different forces sort of barreling together like freight trains all heading for the same station. Right. Bo-Katan is after Moff Gideon. Uh Din and Boba Fett and Fennec Shander after Moff Gideon uh, all and, you know, Din is putting together a team to go attack it, uh, including, you know, Bill Burr's character. And uh, I, I, I think all of these things are going to come to a head at once, whether that's Moff Gideon, his dark trooper program, whoever the volunteer is, um, whatever Jedi that Grogu called like I think we're going to see all of these things pay off at once. And it's, it's a very star Wars thing to do, right? Like this is John Favreau trying to do star Wars. And, and I don't think anybody does this better than George Lucas, except for maybe like Ryan Johnson, but threading a whole bunch of stories together so that you can have fights in three different places or four different places, all intercut. Um, you know, like like we do, we get in the finales of star Wars movies. And I think this is what Favreau is probably building to. Um, okay, so they refer, return to Navarro and learn of Kara's new martial role. And th this actually answers our question from, what, last week or the week before, where that badge is actually a marshal in the New Republic. So I think I said that. So I'm going to pat myself on the back for that one. Um, yeah, no, well, it was just confusing. I think Carl Weathers was just not yeah. giving it the attention it needed or the context. And I'm glad that we got it now. Yeah. Okay. So Mando asked him to look, ask her to look up Migs Mayfield, which is uh, uh, Burr's character, right? Uh, he was, um, he was part of that uh, that team that got them aboard the prison ship, but then they betrayed Mando. So he's going to need him to get onto Gideon's light cruiser somehow. Uh, I'm guessing we're going to see that in the next episode. Um, Car now has to operate by the rules. Mando explains they have. The kid, and I'm guessing this means that she's willing to bend the rules for Grogu. <laughs> um, Moff Gideon enters a cell on the ship where Grogu is being uh, kept, and Grogu is using his force powers to take out two stormtroopers. I'm not sure if he's force choking him or just like 
having them crash into each other in the air or what, but like it really seems like he's able to use some force here. And of course, uh, all the effort uh, makes him exhausted. Um, do, do we sense some anger in young Grogu here? I mean, anger and fear. Clearly, he doesn't want to be in yeah. position of the Empire. And so, yeah, he's he's being pretty aggressive here by throwing these stormtroopers around constantly and slamming them into each other. So maybe there's something to, you know, Ahsoka's concern of him uh, having too much fear in him to be trained. Yeah, there's this weird moment that comes up next with Moff Gideon showing Grogu his Darksaber. And Gideon says he's not ready to play with such toys and and then tranks him or has him tranked. Like, what is this moment with the like, is it just a reason for Moff Gideon to to show his Darksaber again? I don't I honestly I honestly think that that's probably part of it, because the last thing we saw with Bo-Katan was like, I'm going after him in the Darksaber. And if we would, this is like really our next time seeing Moff Gideon and we could have maybe assumed that that story was playing out and maybe he doesn't have it. Maybe he's already had his confrontation with Bo-Katan, but I think this is clearly meant to telegraph to us that he still has it and Bo-Katan still has not made her move. Yeah. Um, Okay. So Gideon says to send an encrypted message to Dr. Pershing that they got the donor and end of episode uh any final thoughts on this episode um i just was there were just so many shocks and surprising turns and everything (laughs) and so many times when i was just mad and so worried about grogu and it's giancarlo esposito we know he's a great actor but there's something that makes him even more menacing when he's actually talking to the child and like talking to him in a very menacing way and it's like "Ooh, you son of a bitch you better not (laughs) hurt that kid um but yeah it's uh, also i would love to know uh just just how their their shackles work if whether or not they have like a bunch of different sizes because those were some teeny teeny tiny shackles (laughs) that were on baby yoda's hands (laughs) well you know you know brad i am a magician and they have a thing called thumb cuffs which i think could be used as like real handcuffs for baby yoda so maybe they maybe in the star wars universe there's such thing as thumb cuffs i mean which i don't think any police officers actually use thumb cuffs i think it's probably something invented for magic i don't know Uh, but i mean like if you're if your whole thing is like we're gonna capture this child and it could be powerful maybe you'd have some stuff offhand that you could restrain it with i don't think it's gonna work like there's a reason that you see uh, ray shields being used to capture Jedi, whether that's in in General Grievous's ship or w- whether that's Count Dooku holding Obi Wan hostage. Um, yeah, I think those little energy binders aren't going to do much for him. Hmm. Okay. So, I, you know, another thing that like kind of surprised me is like Brian, you gave your prediction of what's going to happen in the finale of the season. If you had asked me before this episode, my prediction was going to be that at the very end of the last episode of the season, they get to Tython, like Yoda's trying to communicate with the Jedi, and then Denny gets captured in the last few seconds of the season, and the cliffhanger is that they now have Grogu, and we're we're left to wait a year to find out what happens. But I'm guessing now we're he, they're going to get him back by the end of the the season so i don't really know what what is the end like the season has to end on a cliffhanger right what do you think 
this season's gonna where do you think this is going and what what do you think the cliffhanger is gonna be i mean we we broached upon this subject earlier and really just a matter of how it plays out but i feel like now the the cliffhanger and the big reveal for the end of the episode has to be who answers the call from uh from tython that that grogu put out there um, I think that that has to be the thing where people are like, oh, wow, or, you know, uh, and whether it's somebody that we know, like uh, Luke, probably not Ezra. I'm convinced that it's not now after we we, we talked it out um, or uh, a new Jedi that we don't know about or maybe somehow introducing an expanded universe character like Kyle Katarn or maybe Mara Jade somehow. Um, I think it's it's it, that has to be the big thing is is who answers this call. I still feel like there's going to be something like, like last season. Remember there was the after credit scene where Moff Gideon cuts his way out of the the Tie Fighter. I feel like there's going to be something like that this season. That's going to be the big oh shit moment. That's even more oh shit than you know Luke Skywalker showing up in the battle. Like because that's not the very end of the episode. I mean, I it could know. be they could they could cliffhanger it right in the middle of the battle, and then you just see a green lightsaber ignite. Oh. Yeah, I guess you're right. That could be the and, end of the last few seconds. And that and that would mean, you know, we wouldn't get a leak about who was playing that character or how it was working because it wouldn't necessarily be anybody. Yeah. Oh my god. How awesome would that be for the green ignite the green? Oh my god, Brian. You're you're, you're making me yeah. excited here for what the possibility that's probably not going to happen. I, you know, I, I've been saying like, eh, that's not going to happen for a lot of stuff that's actually happened to this episode yeah. <laughs> or this season. Yeah. Uh, a- any other predictions for where this season's going? I, I think that my biggest prediction, I think, I think Brad's right. I think we're heading toward whoever's going to answer that call. And, uh, I think, I think we're going to, I'm really curious to see who directs the season finale because we still don't know that yet. And uh, I'd be interested to see if Rodriguez took another episode or if it's somebody that we just haven't heard about yet. Um, yeah. Who else do I, we have? I, we have Rick coming back. That's probably in the next episode because it is. It's already been. Yeah. Announced oh, that I, it's the next one. I was just going to guess because of the Bill Burr character comes back because that would make sense to have him continue that storyline. Um, so, yeah. Who directs the finale? I, I do know that like when they did. Filoni said he only directed one episode this season, right? Yeah, which is why there's still a big question mark over the fin- like it could be anybody. Like they could uh, Steven Spielberg could come back and direct it. Wouldn't that be a hell of a thing? <laughs> what if they got George? They would never be able to keep that under wraps, though. That'd be crazy. Uh and George wouldn't keep that under wraps. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um I don't know. Okay. Well, I'm excited to see what happens. It was great talking with you guys about this episode and I can't, I'm going to go rewatch this again after we get off this call. Um, but uh, you can find Brian's uh, review of this episode, which goes more into some of the cinematic influences and some other stuff that we didn't talk about here. Uh, I'll link that in the show notes. Uh, you can find all more of all of our work at slashfilm.com. You can find this podcast on a- Apple, Google, Overcast, Spotify, all the popular podcast apps. Again, please send us your feedback, questions, comments, concerns to us at peter.slashfilm.com. Leave your name and general geographic location in case we mention the email in the a- air. If you have some speculations, you have some insight, you know, we're recording this. Like, I, I think you guys watched this episode this morning, yeah. right? Like just a couple hours ago. Yeah. 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 So you got, you got to understand that we're recording this like 
really right after we have seen this episode. And while you're listening to this, you probably have the insight of Twitter and Reddit and a lot of things that are, you know, pointing out things that we we didn't even get to to notice. So if you see any of that, please, you know, uh, do us a favor, point it out to us, send it to Peter at slash uh, because we like to mention it on the next episode. And uh, please, if you enjoy this podcast, head on over to iTunes, give us a five star review, R- write us a sentence or two uh, that helps us quite quite a bit. Thanks for listening. We'll see you on Monday.